and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about strays. Joining me today, he's been known to take in a stray animal every now and then. It's Daniel Lima. Daniel, how's it going? Oh, it's going great. And that's actually not incorrect. Uh, that's actually how we got my cat. So not not only is D- uh, Daniel kind of just in general one of our animal movie correspondents, but he's also someone that you know just if he happens if if if, an, if, a, if a cat or a dog just happens to walk up on its back porch, he's a very hospitable guy when when when, when something like that happens. Oh yeah, so. we've got a whole crowd, we got a whole crew, we got an orange cat, we got a gray cat, we got a black and white cat, uh, we have a couple other cats that I, I've yet to bond with, um, possums, um, you know, like I'm I'm a it's a menagerie over here. Yeah, so just oh, you're a very fitting person to have on for Strays, which is the newest movie from director Josh Greenbaum, who did Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar, a very fun movie from 2021 starring Kristen Wiig and Annie Mumolo. It is written by Dan Peralt, who is the kind of the mind behind American Vandal and Players. Uh, I know uh, Daniel really likes the former. I've been trying to get him to watch the latter. They're just uh, very, 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 very fun mockumentary stuff, so it's interesting he's making this foray into uh, writing feature films produced by uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller and Louis Leterrier, who, you know, they've obviously, they're obviously minds behind a bunch of stuff. Uh, if it is, you know, a, a live action uh, talking dog movie, as as anyone has seen the many, many, uh, the many, many promotional efforts of this movie would know. Will Ferrell voices Reggie, a border terrier who is owned by Doug Will Forte, who's basically the worst person in the world, though uh, Reggie is slow, on the, slow to realize that until uh, one day where after Doug just uh, really finally tries, has his most successful attempt but getting rid of him, some other dogs he meets, you know, help him come to this realization. Hey, maybe you weren't always loved like you thought. There's Jamie Foxx who plays Bug, a stray Boston Terrier. I, or I should say voices, not plays. Isla Fisher plays Maggie, <laughs> an Australian Shepherd. And uh, Randall Park voices Hunter, a Great Dane who is a failed police dog who uh, really just wears a cone all the time. And uh, they, they become a new crew for Reggie quickly who and help him realize, hey, Doug wasn't all he was uh, cracked up to be. And uh, he decides he is going to go and bite Doug stick off. And that is, uh, that, 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 that kicks off the journey. That is this movie. Uh, Daniel, uh, as I, as I've already indicated a couple of times, uh, you're an animal guy. You actually did a podcast on a movie called dog with us last year. So, uh, you, I think you are, uh, the, the foremost expert in the, in the, the rewind universe on animal movies. So I'm curious, there are other talking animal movies out there and none of them come to mind as like necessarily the gold standard, but you were very, you've been adamant for all, since this trailer dropped, you were doing this movie and we, we were going to talk about it. And I'm wondering, do you have like, I, I mean, you have a more encyclopedic knowledge of, uh, probably the animal movies than I do, but is there, is there like a talking animal movie out there that comes to mind that you care about, especially, or were you just inherently interested in like the possibility of someone doing a version of this? Well, well, the latter, truthfully, mm-hmm. like I'll admit that, like much as I I will watch any movie about a silly little dog doing silly mm-hmm. little things. Uh, just recently, I reviewed for publication like a, uh, a a movie called The Furry Fortune, which is about a mm. dog that sheds money when it's happy really dire movie really didn't like it but you know that's the kind of thing that i'm definitely attracted to probably the gold standard for a dog movie for me would be the benji films i've seen the first two and they're absolutely brilliant love them to death actually Um, never seen those i I know i know i know i got you to watch turner and hooch at one point several years ago that's that's another solid one that's a solid one yeah no and uh the airbud movies are of varying quality i'm actually a big fan of which one was it not the dog spikes back but world pup the third film where he plays soccer and uh the first 
Air Buddies movie and the last Air Buddies movie, uh, Super Buddies, where they all get superpowers. Those are solid movies also. I love them. You know, it's funny when you did that. I think that that might have been, was that a pandemic project for you? Was that a 2020 thing? Um, I think it might have been. I don't think it was a pandemic. (laughs) That that would be easier to justify. No, (laughs) I just, I just like them. Well, I think at one point you are, you like were wanting to like do podcasts on them. And I, I, it was sometime post COVID because I I remember making the promise. If we ever go into lockdown again, I will do an Airbud rewatch with you. Not kind of thinking that like the toothpaste is out of the tube. We're never going to actually go into lockdown again, but now we're like going on like close to like, we're close to entering month five of the writer's strike. So who knows? Like if this goes on for another five months, maybe the well will dry up and we'll have reason to go do an airbag. Oh, yeah. And I've actually, I don't know if you're aware, but there's actually a new strain of coronavirus going around. We've had a lot of people getting sick, people who have never gotten sick before. And oh. you know what? Uh, no, no, look, I'm not I'm not hoping that this <laughs> continues. Like, I'm not hoping necessarily, but I'm also I'm also not 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 hoping <laughs> that it happens because I would love an opportunity to dissect the strangeness of um which one was it the fourth one was that the one where he plays baseball I believe uh, seventh inning fetch um, what's, what's the football one called is it like wide retriever or something like that golden retriever golden, golden retriever. retriever okay <laughs> yeah uh, but yeah I I'm, I'm a big fan of these sorts of movies uh, with this one though mm-hmm. all right I'll cop to this mm-hmm. the trailers not entirely auspicious. However, they did make me laugh because, you know, I I have a kind of hunger for this kind of comedy that is sort of lowbrow, that is kind of going for the lowest hanging fruit, like consistently. See, I don't always think of you as someone that's like really into like the lowbrow humor stuff. Yeah, I used to really not be. But I mean, a specific kind of lowbrow movie where like there's constantly trying to get you to laugh in whatever kind of (laughs) dire way possible. Uh, Something like uh, White Chicks. I really am a big fan of white chicks. You know, that sort of early, mid-2000s R-rated comedy that's just a constant stream of jokes versus like the sort of Apatow model of, you know, constant like kind of allusions to other things and kind of like banter back and forth that ultimately has to end with like a third act dramatic turn, you -hmm. know? Uh, I like something that's just consistently trying to make me laugh. And beyond that, uh, like you detailed the talent going on behind the scenes just incredible you have you know a lord and miller production you have josh greenbaum who you know i love barbara star go to vista del mar you know one of the best movies of the the decade so far i love 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 vandal i have yet to get to players but you know i will and uh you know it's los atier he's there too but like you know like you have a, a strong bench uh behind it so i kind of went into this hoping for something that the trailer wasn't showing hoping for some kind of subversive element to this sort of genre perhaps even a sort of meta joke in the same way that did you ever see um Holmes and Watson no i know you inexplicably really really liked it though <laughs> <laughs> you say inexplicably that is a movie that i feel at least it's kind of playing a meta joke on the viewer. Like you actually paid for a comedy about Holmes and Watson, but instead we're going to make you watch John C. Riley like chocolate off a woman for five minutes. You know, like I, I think the joke is kind of on the audience. The joke is that they're doing something so dire and dumb. Some very, good chocolate, kind- some very good chocolate jokes and strays. <laughs> some very good chocolate jokes indeed. Um, so I went into this kind of hoping for something more than what it seemed on the surface. I mean, I am more of a sucker generally for like lowbrow stuff. And I, I, I think I, I laugh more at strays than I'm going to just care to admit to like most people I talk to when like I say I saw the Talking Dog movie on Friday night. But like there were certain kind of jokes that like really, really worked for me in the movie. 
and others where it's like, I, I think I chuckled throughout, but like it got, it definitely got over the hump for me. And I, I, I'll say, and I'll be curious to see what worked most for you about it. I'll say what worked most for me is that like, I didn't exactly know how they were going to handle the conceit. I just saw the trailers. I was like, you know, like vulgar dogs, like, sure. Like I'll, I'll probably get a few laughs out of that. And I, and I know I, I promised you would, we do the podcast. I was like, I'll go see it. But like, I didn't really take much time to really think about what else they might do with it going in. But again, I knew there was a decent amount of talent behind the thing. So I thought, oh, maybe they'll have a unique spin. And I think as you indicated, they might've played it straight, maybe a little more you'd expected, but they did it effectively. But there were moments where like it transcended just like playing it straight for me. And I think that my favorite thing that they did throughout was that like, look, yeah, we're getting these dogs that talk like humans and they're vulgar and all that. But like the same time, there were moments where it's like, it's very consistently still from the perspective of a dog and that there's like certain things they don't get. And that was like my favorite strain of humor throughout where it's like, yeah, like it's, it's kind of silly how like these people that like, yes, have the limited worldview of a dog are like talking about things like you and I might like in the same language you and I might, but at the same time, they think there's a conspiracy because they don't know what the humans are doing with their poop. <laughs> or they, or, or they, they, they think the mailman is the devil, but they don't actually know what the, they don't actually know the term mailman. And, and they're just a lot, they're a hammer. Burn in hell, you rotten piece of shit. <laughs> and I, I mean, it was, it was, it was such great restraint how they just kept referring to the devil in the sky the entire movie, but like didn't actually have that reveal until like, you know, like probably the hour, tw- hour, 17 minute mark of like this hour and 30 minute film. And I, and I, and I, and I, I really respected that and it made, it made it a great punchline, but I just thought they had a lot of those kind of things like sprinkled throughout that were more funny than just like, haha, what, look at that dog hump that couch, which I also did laugh at some, but at the same <laughs> time, just like, I, I laughed harder at like certain jokes like that, that just like kind of surprised me with like, they're coming out of nowhere with like a, a, a different kind of take on it than I necessarily expect to when I go see like, you know, a sentient animal movie. Yeah, no, actually, uh, first off, I want to say for the record, I laughed a decent amount here. I saw this mm-hmm. in a fairly empty theater. Not a lot of laughter there except for me and the, the two middle aged women like a couple seats away from me. Mm-hmm. We were loving it. I, I will say that in terms of keeping it rooted in the animal's perspective, I actually do agree. I think that that's one of the big strengths of the movie, not only in the comedy, although there is a lot of that. Like, you know, yeah, it's funny to hear the do- the dogs going like, you know, I wonder why they're taking our poop <laughs> like or to um, there's like a there's like a or like when the firework they're at a fair and the fireworks go off. And for them, it's like 9-11. And for everyone around them, all the humans, they're just like, oh, yeah, you know, it's a, it's a fireworks show. <laughs> it brings a lot of humor out of that. But I also think that the film does stay kind of rooted in this animal's perspective in the way similar to something like uh, I think the best animal movies managed to do this, like uh, Homeward Bound or like the Benji films or even uh, something like the TV, the night. 1973 TV movie Mooch Goes to Hollywood. I think that even visually, just keeping like to the ground level, you know, having the dog's eye lines always, you know, you know, it it shoots the dogs in the same way that they would shoot humans, the same way they would frame humans. They give them the same sort of reaction shot. Oh, there's like this moment just at the beginning, once you get over the opening narration of the film uh, from Reggie, played by Will Forte, or no, not Will Forte, I'm sorry, uh, played by uh, Will Ferrell. You get this moment where like he's trying to he looks at a fence and he's trying to get a ball on the other side and the camera just kind of follows along his perspective as he kind of looks around for a way to get over to the other side. Like little moments like that actually go a long way in sort of selling you on the character of these animals. Hmm. Yeah, well, I was gonna, I, I think one thing I think I might have noticed in your letterbox review that you liked or something like that was that you kind of liked that the movie didn't become like too sentimental at the end it stayed you know committed to some of its bits 
But like at the same time, like you're saying you like that it was from the animal's perspective. Did you like still like, in spite of the fact that maybe the movie didn't try and take the, like the saccharine turns that sometimes these R-rated comedies do, did you still like find ways to like connect with these animals emotionally? Actually, yes. Um, I think that this film, yeah, it doesn't do the sort of subversive take on the material that I kind of was hoping for. But mm-hmm. in, in instead of that, it happens to just just be like a really good animal movie mm-hmm. um, as somebody who, you know, yeah, has burned through the entirety of the Airbud cinematic universe. Perhaps I am the only person who this is going to appeal to. Maybe you're easy, Mark. Yeah. Yeah. I was listening to a podcast where the guy was like, I mean, if you take out all the R rated, you know, jokes and all the poop and penis stuff, you know, this would honestly just play like Homeward Bound. Like I can this guy was like, I could not imagine a adult who would want to see this kind of movie because it's so simplistic and i was shouting into my you know my podcast app like me i would want to see this kind of movie um this is actually i think my first talking dog movie in theaters since childhood um Mm. and i i'll tell you this i have a far greater appreciation for watching this than uh cats and dogs i'll say that I think I did see that movie in theaters. Yeah, um, I saw the first one and I saw, I believe, the second one. And I still need to round out that trilogy. Oh, I'm getting there. I, I actually read the book, The Art of Racing in the Rain, but I didn't. I don't think I actually saw the movie. I'm trying to yeah, see I missed most that movie. Been, I think, yeah, maybe most of the ones I did see would have been also in childhood. I mean, because when, when, when we say talk, talking dog movie, I think we mean like, you know, live action ones. We're not talking like Secret Life of Pets. That's its own category, you know? Right, I right. Think, and, you know, I, and I also want to make a distinction between the art of racing in the rain and dog's purpose films and something like this where it's actually cgi mouse which brings me to one of my favorite gags of when the dogs go to the fair and and, no when the dogs go to the fair and uh, they meet a narration dog where the dog (laughs) is sort of narrating this love Uh, story between his owner yeah they meet cute and and uh and then it leads into like one of the funniest jokes i don't want to reveal i guess too too much although i imagine nobody's listening to this who hasn't seen the movie already um, I will say that even though I think I, I will say that I, I do wish that the film kind of went further in it's sort of, uh, you know, in the sort of gags that it went for. I, I one of the great strengths of Barb and Star and, and I think even American Vandal is that in different ways, they kind of take their premises to their logical conclusions. Uh, Barb and Star is willing to chase down any sort of stray thought any sort of stray comic idea, you know, yeah, we'll have a musical segment. Yeah. We'll have the character talking to which crab, you know, or whatever. Um, or an American, and, Va- or an American band like one, like one, like thing that you think is going to be like one thing that they mention in like a list of things in an investigation might turn into like a whole episode. Exactly. They tease the, the ideas that they're exploring out. And this one doesn't quite do that, but there are still very, I think, inspired little jokes like the, uh, the narration talk thing. I think, comes from can only come from a place where you have an understanding for that kind of movie i saw i think the first a dog's purpose which by the way uh bad movie do not like um although um i just see here looking at the cast list that actually that dog the narrator dog is voiced by josh gad who is the voice of the dog from a dog's purpose that's funny uh um, so it's just funny i saw this movie on the friday night it came out and I, one thing and i i don't know if anything is going to come of it yet but i took a step on Thursday towards getting a dog myself. Oh, and I, I, I mean, I, I don't know if it, uh, well, I'll give you the full reason why off mic. I'm not necessarily like 
like I'm less sure now as we record the following Tuesday than I was on Thursday that it will turn into anything. But like, I actually took an affirmative step, which I hadn't done in like five years. So like, I was actually kind of funny to be watching this movie about like this guy that was like a crappy dog owner that did not handle the responsibility of the dog. Well, like less than 24 hours after I had like sent a text message to someone about getting a dog that they were trying to, (laughs) uh, that they were trying to rehome and Uh thinking about like the responsibility that goes into that and like what, what the animals think of us, and like, oh man, is this like a good thing for me to do? Am I do I have enough love and time to give to this dog? And then I'm like watching this Wolf Arrow character just be like horrible, and the dog love him nonetheless. I'm like, oh man, this is actually like kind of heartbreaking. Like, would, 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 would I mean, I know I'm not like that terrible a person, but like, would I would would I would 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 my lifestyle actually be fair to getting a dog? Like, really made me look inward and kind of like, and I think that was almost like a that was a way that made me an easy mark. Like you, you in theory are easy marks for some of these movies is like, I was already like contemplating, like what is the proper amount of love you need to give a dog as I walked into this just because of like my own personal choices. And, uh, I think it like, I think it, it, it was just like, kind of like, kind of touching. Like, I mean, I, and I also did think back to secret life of pets. Like there's a lot of stuff there about like these dogs that just run around in circles waiting for their owners to get home. And I was thinking about that as there, as you have this opening sequence with Reggie and who's, I guess just like, what is he what does he call him like like uh i think shit face or shit something face. like that because shit stain is at the end of the movies it might be shit, yeah, yeah. shit face or, something like that. or fuck face like, something along those lines yeah it's terrible and he's just like calling him all that but then you then you get back and you meet these other dogs and you find like all their backstories and it was just like it was i mean i don't know like maybe yeah it's one thing when you're just having it come out of the mouths of like some you know relatively cute dog dogs that are all cute in their own ways and like you just kind of like feel bad for them like the i mean i actually wanted a little more out of um I wanted a little more out of Isla Fisher's uh, Maggie. I mean, I, th- I thought she had some nice lines, but it was like she she had like one kind of like throwaway sequence where she's like complaining about like how she got replaced by this other cuter, smaller dog. I, I will say she is my favorite performance in the film. Yeah, no, uh, I, 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 wanted, I, just... I wanted them to go back to her more after that. And like, I felt like everything that she did after that was more just like, you know, like about her, you know, will, will will they, won't they with Hunter, you know? Well, you know, I think that she gets a lot of moments where she show proves that, you know, she was never meant to be the Instagrammable mm-hmm. sort of dog anyway. She was meant to be a worker, which, you know, a Australian Shepherd is a working dog. And and I think the, the Instagram influencer's dog might not be the kind of dog that would, uh, you know, agree to take part in the peace circle. I, th- <laughs> I think, by the way, that that dog was voiced by Greta Lee. Ah, Interesting. The dog that Isla Fisher uh, is replaced by, the little puppy. Um, which, by the way, I will say that um, the, the 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 specifically though there's still like a no, line. No, I, th- where... I think I think I think she was the owner because she on Wikipedia she's under the cast. I think she might have been the owner of that dog. Oh well, fair enough. But yeah. in any case, uh, no, it says voice Greta Lee voice Bella. Oh, okay. No, no, it says Brenda on Wikipedia. Interesting. Well, I'm looking at IMDb. Okay. Um, but. I will say that there's like a line where um, Isla Fisher is like, oh, I got to, you know, pose like this. I got to, oh, look, I'm so fuckable. And uh, <laughs> I will say that it to see that sort of foul language coming out of the mouth of a prim and proper like Australian shepherd with the sweetness of Fisher's voice. Like, I, I don't know, that that never failed to get a laugh out of me. Like yeah, when she's like, you know, you guys are so fucking stupid. Like, I don't know. It just makes me laugh. Yeah, certainly some some real some real psych gag stuff in there. Uh, like, you know, the, I think this is I think this is for the most part, like is like, you know, worked in pretty well. Like, you know, they, they try and give these people like these, these people. They try and give these dogs an emotional backstory. And like, it doesn't it doesn't like go. It doesn't go overboard in doing it. Like this movie is not that much more than 90 minutes. It gives you what you need to like 
kind of care about them. I think I just like, I think I just kind of wanted like a few more moments for Maggie, like her, like the one you were just talking about where she's like talking about this other dog. But I mean, I agree. She did. She, she got to get in on the action, uh, even as, even as like the one, the one girl dog in the group. I mean, we've, we really haven't actually talked about the dogs. Um, like Will Ferrell has like actually been, I, I know you said you liked Holmes and Watson. He's actually like uh, more hit or miss for me these days as he is for most people. I actually really enjoyed the, the, the Eurovision song contest movie that he did. But other than that, I thought he was like the weakest part of Barbie. And I, there's not a ton of other stuff I've really enjoyed him in, in the last decade. Uh, well, you know, I don't, I don't blame him for that. No, not necessarily. But like, I mean, yeah, that's more just like how, how that part of the movie is written. But like, my point being like, there's not a whole lot of times where like Will Ferrell's popped up and been like, Oh man, I'm really like, I love what he did here in the last 10 years. I, I, I thought, I thought he was fine for like what he was asked to do here, but he, he is kind of like the straight man for a lot of it. Even once Reggie starts uh, getting into some more of the shenanigans, uh, were, were there any other, did you have any, thoughts on him or uh what what did you like about how they like kind of portrayed these uh, these other three male dogs um i i, I found randall park's thing uh, or i suppose hunter the great dane that he plays with a who's anxious and has a cone around his head i mean it's a simple gag but you know i found it kind of effective and, and, and charming also having that personality but be also being very well endowed <laughs> incredibly i won't lie every time they make a comment about that dog's huge dick like just makes me laugh like i'm sorry i'm a simple man what can i say there's did, like a did, whole did, did, did the prison escape sequence work for you oh yeah i was laughing the entire time <laughs> that is so that that's funny i'm sorry i'm sorry uh you know i i like jamie fox's sort of a thing that actually leads to a kind of emotional moment that uh it worked on me what can i say um i've had those moments you know where uh you know not to reveal too much of plot but i've had those moments where like you know having a pet next to me you know kind of you know helped me get through a little something so yeah no like it, it was actually kind of emotionally moving truthfully like all these sort of arcs of these characters they do kind of work and i want to i want to say that they they actually work did you ever get around to um joyride yeah when i think back to joyride i'm like that was a very funny movie but then the third act it's entirely just like dramatic I think that that's far less effective than something like this film where like, you know, there's still jokes throughout. It's still consistently going for laughs, but they still try to like have a sort of emotional arc. They still try to build these characters and have a sort of catharsis in the end without ever abandoning the comedy. In a way, I think that this sort of approach it makes the emotional beats land a little harder because they seem more meaningful compared to the sort of crass nature of the rest of the film. It reminds me kind of of um 30 Rock um, I found the finale of 30 Rock, a move, a show that was just wall to wall jokes for most scenes. I found the finale to be so much more emotionally powerful than something like um, the more earnest uh, Parks and Recreation. I think that that sort of approach works. Uh, it did certainly do so here for me. Yeah, I haven't watched. I've, I mean, I watched all of Thirty Rock when it aired, but I haven't watched it. I don't think I've actually ever done a Thirty Rock rewatch. So, it's been more than ten years since I saw that. I was probably more of a Parks and Rec person by the end. But you know, I thought Thirty Rock had a great last season, if I remember correctly. So, can't really speak to your point of comparison there. But I, I see your overall point that, like, you know, if you can, if you can mix the high and lowbrow as well as they do, as opposed to you know going straight drama like Joyride did in your third act. Like, yeah, it might it might work a little better. I don't remember. I don't remember Joyride necessarily like falling off at the end for me because of that, but I, I see what you're saying. I just wanted Joyride to be a little more funny throughout, and I think I, I think I probably laughed a, maybe a little more at Strays actually, even if like uh, Joyride had some really funny moments, particularly anytime Stephanie Hsu did anything. Um, yeah, I she, she was just like she was like the best part of that movie for me, even though she was supporting. Like she's just she's great. Um, yeah. but uh, but yeah, no, in uh, in in, in Strays, like I think I. 
I, you know, one thing that really worked for me the most out of those other dogs, like I did get, I did get some good laughs out of Hunter, but like, I just really appreciate how Jamie Foxx like went for it. You know, it was weird because it was like the second time in two weeks I saw him, he was the, he was the voice, the villain in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And, uh, and and, like, it was just like, I I was just like really impressed that like, he's just like, really seems like he didn't mail it in in a way like at all you know or someone like an actor of his stature doesn't think he's like above the material whether it be a teenage mutant ninja turtles movies or a talking dog movie it really felt like he like went into the recording booth and just like really really gave it all to both that villain character in teenage mutant ninja turtles and this it was just like you know ferociously gonna like deliver the line about like having sex with the couch even at the very end of that movie when he's just like you know uh when, he, when he's moved in with the family like that's just a it's a it's a it's a, it's a funny joke when he's just like i'm going for that couch and i don't I, I don't remember exactly what the wording was but like he's just like totally committed to the bit even something like that obscene but like you know he like you said like it, it doesn't feel like it's unearned when like they have those dramatic moments with him like yeah it's not surprising where it goes with him like having some kind of like thing with the prior owner in his past like you could have guessed that that, that was where they were going with this character at some point but, but at the same time, like, you know, you, 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 I did not buy him when he was talking about it. And then, and I still bought him when he's talking about like more than on, on probably more times than I can count on my hand. He talks about having sex with like uh, inanimate objects throughout this movie. There's a, it reminds me of actually when we were talking about um, Day Shift uh, last year, uh, his vampire hunting movie, where I said that he's like one of the last like great movie stars. And he, while he's not the star per se here, like, I think that he has consistently shown that he has an ability to sort of fill the screen and hold your attention, whether he's, you know, a a, a big vampire hunter or whether he's um, a Boston terrier, you know, you actually, this year he also was in, which I haven't seen yet. um, uh, They cloned Tyrone, right? I've not watched that yet. Yeah. And he was also um, a supporting character in a God is a bullet, uh, a movie that I, I don't strongly recommend. You know, I don't think we've had a Jamie Foxx movie to talk about here since he had this health scare he had earlier this year, which I mean, I think mm-hmm. all of the stuff filmed before then. So I, I hope he's doing really well. But like, I, I do see what you're saying. Like, I mean, like, yeah, Day Shift was like a hundred million dollar Netflix movie, but like he, he hasn't necessarily like, you know, led like a, a, a big theatrical movie in that did like incredibly well in some time. But like, I, I, I just think that these, these voice performances, it's just like, they stuck with me in a way that like a lot of voice performances these days don't. And I think that like speaks to the charisma he still has that like that can come through from him when he's just doing something like these last two things. But like, yeah, I mean, I, I'll, I'll take your word for it on Nicole and Tyrone. That's one I need to get to just kind of slip by. It's come out in a busy time for me and but like he's just i i I just like when he shows up and stuff i think he he was really good in um just mercy um i'm just looking at his like filmography right now Uh, a movie that you you don't think you could pay me to watch yeah i i i I think i was like i I was kind of mixed on it even though you know i'm always going to support uh destin cretton and then like i mean uh and i i feel like i i feel like i remember liking him in spider-man no way home i don't remember uh i i I think i i i don't think i'd seen spider-man 3 at the time i saw that or the amazing spider-man 2 at the time i saw that but like i think i remember like actually liking some moments in there so yeah i think i just appreciate that he brings it still and doesn't like mail it in even if he could be seen sometimes it could be seen as just you know someone showing up for the paycheck when he's not there as like the lead in like a in like a big budget studio like theatrical release or something you know so. there's also um i just see looking at the cast i see that jimmy tatra was here playing the rottweiler at the beginning that's funny 
I did not pick up on that in the moment. And I mean, I, I really like that guy. So good for him. Yeah. For, you know, did you see, you time. saw theater camp. I, I really like theater camp. Yeah. He, 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 he was really good in it. I mean, he's doing his thing, but like, he's just fit in very well doing his thing there. Uh, yeah. 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 No, no. The, theater camp is the, the, the last episode in the feed. If people listen to this. So if you haven't seen theater camp, I saw somewhere it's going to be on Hulu in the next couple of weeks. Maybe I should have, uh, I should have mentioned that at the end of this, but like, it's going to be, people are going to be able to stream it soon. So, and then they can go back and listen to the last episode in the feed before this one. What else? about uh about strays well here's the thing it's funny because like when it comes to uh comedies Mm -hmm. i mean at the end of the day especially when it's something that is you know as you know i'll admit slight as something like strays it's very simple uh truthfully most of i will say that a lot of the jokes are spoiled by the marketing Mm -hmm. um like i was i i think i'd heard all the like not all the best best jokes but a good amount of the good jokes even though they played just as well uh the second time around but the drug scene. Most of it is shown in the trailers. I'll admit that. But the ultimate resolution, the final joke of that scene, that killed me. Uh, that made me laugh so, so, so much. That is the kind of energy that I wish was like running through the entirety of the film, I'll admit. Mm-hmm. But um, that <laughs> the, the sort of like uh, dramatic nature, the dramatic reveal of that scene, that really knocked me out. Yeah, let's, let's let's not say anymore in the event someone actually listened to this point then without getting to that point. But like, I mean, yeah, it's 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 you know, I think lots of different comedies. Heck, I think they probably had one in um, Joyride, if I remember correctly. Like a lot of comedies will just have some kind of like drug sequence where it's like, hey, we're going to go have our characters, you know, trip on something or just get really high or take shrooms or whatever. So if you're going to do that with how much it's been done, you know best if you can try and find some other kind of spin additional kind of spin to put on it beyond that uh, i think one thing that happened in close proximity to that i think was when the police dog showed up yeah um and i you know i, I don't want it's just one other random thing that's like the where the where the part in the movie where i like i laughed the most other than like the jokes i already talked about was when like just when they were like the, the police dogs were like being aggressive towards them and at one point they just <laughs> said they, they they just said like like hunter tried to step up for a second and they're like, what are you going to do? But what the fuck are you going to do about it? He's like, I'm not going to fucking do anything. And he's like back right down. Like the comic timing in that scene, for some reason, like made me laugh and made my audience laugh like a lot more than like a lot of other stuff in the movie, even though it was like a very simple, quick exchange. Uh, it was just like really delivered well by both sides. I don't I wish I had the right wording written down. I just don't. Um, yeah, no, no, no. I remember that moment. And actually, I will say that the editing of the film, like, you know, I've I've become a lot more conscious of how editing kind of accentuates humor and comedy in film. Mm-hmm. And uh, because like a lot of studio films these days, I feel they have these sort of like awkward dead spaces at the end of jokes in order to kind of wait for the audience to finish laughing. They're so mm-hmm. confident in their ability. And like when I watch something like Cocaine Bear, that's absolutely 100% true. Mm-hmm. Here, I think that it's far tighter. I think that just the construct, like this movie is like 93 minutes. I think 10 minutes of them must be the credits. There's just a constant stream of like one-liners and the it's like pitch perfect, like editing in order to like sort of accentuate and punctuate all of those jokes. Or, or, to, or to Miller. I forgot there were producers on Cocaine Bear. So there's a bit of a rebound for them for you. Because you really. Oh, didn't. yeah, for sure. For sure. Like, I, I remember watching Cocaine Bear thinking, like, oh, fuck, like, did the studio mess up here? And uh, was that also a Universal film? Uh, yes. Because I think, yeah, Lord Miller has like a first look deal with Universal mm-hmm. or something. I think there's also like a rap song at the end, like during the closing credits, like an original. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll need to go double check on that. Because, you know, truthfully, I need to fill out my best best song of the year uh, ballot at the moment. 
It's a reminder, we might have some award stuff we need to talk about uh, off air mm. if we want to ever make that episode happen. Did you have any feelings about like Will Forte in this movie? And like, did you did you even really care about the Doug set by the end? Or were you more just there along for the ride with the dogs? Oh, no, I, I wanted to see that guy's dick get bit off. <laughs> I wanted to see that guy's dick. What an so, asshole. Was that, was, was that so that was satisfying for you? Oh, yeah. That the mm-hmm. finale is, is super satisfying. <laughs> I will say that, like, I'm a big Will Forte fan. Um, you know, I, do you like I, are you, I look, are, do you do you like McGruber? I am a huge fan of McGruber. Okay, I, we never talked about McGruber. I'm, I, I, I'm a fan of the movie. I did not watch the TV show, actually. But yeah, same um, actually. Um, and I'm also like I've I've never I never watched SNL. You know. But, okay, so uh, the SNL stuff is like the best. You, okay, you, when when we get off of here, you got to watch the SNL thing that he did when he hosted last year, and they did like a McGruber COVID thing. I won't say anything else yet. But oh, like, really? You, you, you need you need you need to watch it and. Will Forte, like he kind of comes across as like ineffectual sometimes. Like he he might play people that aren't good people, but they're hapless. Mm-hmm. And so you can't help but like think of him like that. So it's hard for me to like get around on him being like a bad guy necessarily. Cause I don't know. He he kind of plays it like he's a complete bum in like exactly the right way for me. Okay. So maybe it worked for you. Like at, at times I'm like, man, he doesn't seem as like terrible, even if like he, they're having him do terrible stuff. It's like I, I don't know if he was like the hundred percent right guy I wanted to cast, but like it's funny. There's this this McGruber thing that like I'm gonna send you like i do think he's like almost like sinister in a different way but like it's it's a little more politically charged <laughs> than other stuff but like at the same time like it, i'm not gonna say I, I i wasn't like i i didn't have no reaction to him getting his dick bit off so i will say that you know <laughs> and it was it, it was still like you know it was still like a nice win that that was obviously a pretty big uh a, a pretty big set piece and it was it was fun to see the friends like come to his rescue after they had uh their their bit of a little falling out because there had to be some some kind of conflict in the movie. But like you said, that happened like in very close proximity to the devil in the sky reveal. So it kind of goes again to them like, you know, they're 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 keeping up the good jokes like till late in the movie. And again, the culmination of it, you know, was a guy getting his dick bit off. So they 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 stayed committed to some uh to some absurd stuff throughout and they didn't and they uh and, and they didn't stop trying to make jokes, which I think I do think I agree with you. You gotta respect. Anything else about Stray's Daniel that we did not already touch on that you want to touch on? Yeah, no, like, I mean, it's a fun movie. It's a fun movie. It's a funny movie. I actually did kind of kind of feel something, you know, uh, which is kind of a little more and a little less than I expected. Um, but I would recommend uh, it's as far as dog movies go from what I've seen. This is pretty high up there. I had a perfectly good time. If you've like seen the trailer, like I think you'll get even a little more out of it than the trailer reveals. But if you like, you think you are, but at the same time, like, you know, you're not going to come away dissatisfied if you think you're inclined to like that kind of thing uh, based on what you did see in the trailer. So um, yeah, Daniel, we've already named out a bunch of other dog stuff. So I don't know if you need to do that kind of recommendation, but is there any other kind of recommendations you want to make for things you've been consuming recently before we sign off? You haven't been on in a while. So uh, you might have yeah, something, no. you might have, you might have a couple things to get off your chest. I was here for Mission Impossible last. That's like a month ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen actually a good amount of decent stuff. Uh, codependent lesbian space alien seek same is a 2011, I believe it was a Sundance film um, about you know a trio of aliens that come to Earth in order to uh, get their heart broken uh, so that they'll never have to feel emotions again. And it's a kind of black and white indie mumblecore ish sort of comedy. You know, very queer, very funny. It, it's just an absolute delight. I was very surprised by this one because the title kind of makes you think, is this going to be a little too clever by half? It's not. Hmm. Um, this one I actually saw on Vudu for free, hmm. um, which how often do I use that streaming service? Bushido Man is a Kinsuke Sanamura choreographed film. Uh, that's pretty much just a series of fight scenes, but they're all wildly inventive, wildly creative. 
in the way that Sonomura brings to all his works, which includes uh, his second directed film, uh, Bad City, which has recently come out, which is a kind of a callback to the uh, B movies of, you know, the past in Japan, the uh, sort of um, what's it called? V cinema, which were direct to video films that were, you know, about an hour long and were Mm. full of violence and and action. And, you know, uh, he's got like the stars Hitoshi Ozawa, who, people these days might recognize as one of the villains in the Yakuza series of video games, Mm. you know, really great action, a sort of decent enough crime story, but man, I could not recommend that enough. Oh, here's one that I actually recommended to you, which I never heard back from you on, which I assume means that you either wasn't, weren't a fan or fell asleep. Uh, The first slam dunk. No, I did. Well, so shit, did I fall asleep? It was long. I didn't remember. I didn't realize it was two hours. It was more than, I think it was more than two hours, actually. It might have been like two hours and 20 minutes. It was incredibly long, and there were parts of it that I really, really responded to and really enjoyed. Uh, okay, 124 minutes. So it's just over, it basically is only two hours. It felt like two and a half to 245. Like there was like, there was like a whole like subplot about like the guy getting bullied that I just didn't really think went anywhere. There's like a couple other things that just felt very repetitive. Um, and, but like at the same time, like I don't remember the last time I ever saw like, sports like even live action sports like depicted like with that much detail and craft and i i really appreciated that and i did think you got a good a, a good sense of like some stuff with that with that particular culture and it was interesting like kind of the scale on which they depicted basketball and like and how how they do care about it even if it might be more of a niche thing over there in japan and i i really did think some of it was really good but i, I especially just depicted like appreciate how they depicted sports like too often in sports movies and i know you're not the biggest sports guy but you've probably seen your fair share of sports movies like you know it's just every like i think there's like the joke if you've ever seen hoosiers like every single shot goes in and yeah. and like and, and and other things it's like you know every single um thing is like oh there's like a, and there's a little bit of that in this movie like everything every single thing is like a, a 10-0 run followed by the other team scoring 10 in a row and everything is like a a swish a swish or a made shot and it's like here it's like they actually had like interesting ways of like showing like the actual different types of plays and i know that sounds very basic but it's like oh no we'll show them like how this guy grabs this rebound or this guy gets this chase down block or this guy just like misses his shot he takes off balance i just appreciated the craft and the animation and the detail and how they did that and i just thought like there was a little bit of bloat in the rest of the movie for me we'll see See, I, I agree with you on the actual game. I think that this is a one of the only sports films I can think of that treats it with the same sort of dynamism that you would see in an action set piece. I think a large part of that goes to the fact that it is animated mm-hmm. and you can get people on that court, you know, in a way that you can't really have a cameraman depict mm-hmm. where you're following true, like true. the ball and the players and you're playing around with space in order to kind of generate a certain sort of sensation. Um, I think that it really is beautifully directed within the action but i actually disagree with you on the um on the drama i Mm. think that the film is pretty much one important game but you keep flashing back to the backstory of the players how they came together what they mean to each other what the game means to them and why i thought that it made for a far more it made me more emotionally invested in this fake cartoon basketball game than I've ever felt watching a real sports event, watching a sports film. I thought that it was a very well-structured narrative in like keeping you in the confines of this one important game and flashing back to those sorts of moments to add that context. Yeah, just about every, um, just about, just about all the players get a backstory. And like, I think some of that worked for me. It was just, there were certain parts of them that like, felt extraneous like yeah i i can't i i gotta disagree i mean it's a matter of taste but like the yeah no i found that like even the moments where they're kind of 
butting heads with each other before when they're starting to get to know each other. I thought that those moments made the bond that they now displayed on the court even more meaningful. I was a really big fan of this one. This is my number, I think, four of the year. This is my number four of the year. I really was taken by this. And I, oh, Nimona was another one for me. Uh, did you get around to that? No, which one's that? Nimona is, all right, so this movie is a Netflix release, but it was originally a Blue Sky film. That's, I think, an adaptation of a manga series. It's set in like this kind of fantasy sci-fi sort of world where there's like, you know, a queen and knights and they live in a city that uh, is walled off from the outside world to protect them from monsters on the eve of a, of a new knight rising up from the underclass for the first time. Uh, he's framed for the assassination of one of, uh, of an important figure. And uh, he finds himself a new companion named Nimona, this sort of shape-shifting being uh, who is uh, considered a monster, but and has embraced that sort of role, who wants to be his sidekick and help clear his name. Well, help destroy his enemies, but he wants to just clear his name. Uh, what follows is actually the reason why this uh, movie was uh, kind of put on ice for a while is that Disney acquired Blue Sky and this film has a very, very strong trans themes. And Disney apparently did not want to touch that at the time. And so it was in limbo for a while until it finally got completed um, and released. And I was at first not really a huge I, I wasn't on the same the movie's wavelength at first. I thought the animation was kind of assurancey looking, and uh, you know it's a very simplistic sort of storytelling, which I, it, it feels like something made for like very small children. Which you know, being a Blue Sky production, probably was the case. But as the film sort of wore on, like the characters became more charming, the animation style kind of made for more dynamic action set pieces, and I felt that the social commentary actually made it more moving. It made me care about these characters. Uh, Nimona keeps getting called a girl and Nimona keeps saying, but I'm not a girl. Um, and it's treated like a monster, but keeps, you know, steadfastly holding to their own identity, uh, regardless of how uncomfortable that makes anybody else. And, you know, as the film wears on, it becomes very clear that the labels that you would want to put on them truly don't reflect their experience and i think that it's a very good moral lesson i think that it is it ties into these characters in an organic sort of way and the fact that this film manages to sort of wrap up that that message in a certain sort of how do i put this all right i was not a huge fan of barbie's social messaging i felt that it sort of revealed the limitations of trying to tell it this sort of commentary within the confines of a you know a toy commercial a movie that was funded by these sort of uh institutional powers that it's you know very limply attempting to critique um Nimona, on the other hand i think actively explicitly ties in its uh social message with the idea that if these institutions do not allow for this sort of recognition of who people are, then that speaks to the sort of rotten core of that institution. It explicitly ties in its social message with a sort of anti-authoritarianism and anti-establishment politics that I found incredibly refreshing. So okay. yeah, I would highly, highly, highly recommend Mona. It's after the first Lamb Dunk, my second favorite uh, animated film of the year. Speaking of social messaging, I saw Blue Beetle the other day. 
Uh, oh, <laughs> blue, you're part of the Blue Beetle Battalion. Uh, no, I mean, like that, that's really the only. Th- I mean, I just again, I as I've said on a couple of the other podcasts, I just haven't. Aside from like, there's been a we've just had some scheduling issues with the podcast recently. I feel like I've probably already talked about a couple of the other things that like I I actually might have liked that we uh that we are yet to record on and uh a lot of my other time i spent recently has been working or watching stuff in advance the 2024 palm beach jewish film festival which again i'm not really promoting this stuff not because of any you know sworn to secrecy agreements but just because i have no idea when anyone's gonna be able to see any of that stuff i'll wait till next year when i'm actually volunteering for this festival but i saw blue beetle and i actually liked it compared to like anything else that dc has put out in the last two years it's fun um you know like how's the action I mean, what what does it mean if for me? What me to tell you that? You know, I mean, it could be good for me, and that's not going to mean much to you. You know. Um, well, you know, actually, this is one movie where I'm actually kind of looking. Oh yeah, I mean, JJ Perry's on it, right? Exactly. Um, JJ and- Perry is handling the action, and I've heard that it's very much like a sort of um an American tokusatsu film. Tokusatsu being the sort of genre that like Power Rangers. Uh, is for part of or Shin Kamen Rider, you know what I mean? So uh, I can see, I, I, I can see a little bit of that. I mean, I, I mean, I, I, I can tell you, like, I definitely know there. It, it had more going on in it that department than like the Flash did. Not that that's saying much, but like you can tell there's like some level of like effort put into it, you know. <laughs> um, so I, I'll give, I'll give it that, but also like you know, it's just a different kind of story. It tells the story of a different kind of family, and I think that's interesting to like see that in the DCU because there's, um, you know, it's just. You know, I don't exactly understand what kind of world this is set in when, you know, real world cities are never really referenced that much in DC, you know, it's, it's, it's Metropolis, Gotham, whatever, and here there's like some other fictitious kind of tropical city that seems like some kind of Miami stand-in, but they refer to this family as Mexican, so Mexico is a thing in this world, so maybe the country is the same, but the states and cities are different, I don't know, but it's a, you know, lower class Mexican family living on the outskirts of a fancy area, and this guy, this guy's getting home from college and you know is like uh, uh, at wit's end a little bit you know is his family is you know treated like pretty uh authoritarian uh, different kind of authority figures or you know people from some corporate backgrounds treat his family in some really unkind ways and you know there's some i mean maybe in some ways it's kind of on the nose based on you know how certain authorities have treated people at you know border crossings and whatnot the last couple of years but it, it just felt like something different for dc and there wasn't anything you know that was like you know aggressively bad about it which is what you can say a lot about a lot of, about a lot of other DC movies except for you know maybe a performance here or there and I'll just say that like you know I think it has a lot going for it and it's really charming at points and you know it just it has a different feel than like a, a lot of the other you know direct that you might have seen from DC over the last couple of years and I mean like and I could have said that about the first Shazam movie they just kind of lost the plot on the second one and uh they and not that like the not that like the villain is great in this it's Susan Sarandon though so it's like you know there's some you know charisma that comes with that that you know maybe you weren't necessarily like getting from like the villains and uh, in Shazam too, though again, Helen Mirren and Lucy Liu, and we should get you further than they did there. I don't know, but like I just thought Blue Beetle was it was a nice time, and you know it's it, it could, could probably use everyone's help, and it deserves more support than it's getting compared to a lot of other DC things that have come out in recent years. Uh, <laughs> Daniel, before we get out of here, it seems I like actually you know, do I I actually do have one more to talk about. All right, because, Harry, Harry, make it quick. Well, this one is by far the best movie of the year. Oh, this one wow. is by by a order of magnitude my favorite thing that I've seen this year so far. It's my number two of the decade, right after RRR, and I might be underrating it. This is Hundreds of Beavers, okay. which is a indie film produced by this small team. The director is Mike Chesick. The uh, I think producer, writer, and star is Ryland Brixen Cole Twos. They had previously collaborated on i believe the lake michigan monster which is a sort of riff on 50s b movies and this is a sort of riff on silent cinema 
Uh, it's about this. Um, it's about this Applejack salesman who, after a drunken bender, destroys his own business and ends up falling into the world of uh, fur trapping in the uh, New France region, which is Canada before it was sold over to the British in the uh, 18th century. This movie, it's a silent comedy. It's shot in the exact same way as silent films were shot back in the day using the same sort of tricks available to them. Although, you know, these days with the sort of modern twist, like the effects that they had been able to do back in those times are now like just a couple clicks away on a, on a modern editor, a uh, nonlinear editor. But like this movie, it's just one of the funniest things. It's, it's operating on sort of Looney Tunes logic. Um, the man is going about the wilderness uh, trying to catch like, you know, beavers and uh, and other animals and all the animals are played by people in costumes and puppets and such. It's just full of absolutely insane sight gags and interesting effects work, the kind of stuff that like, you know, where they make six people in a beaver costume look like hundreds and hundreds of people on screen. Uh, some absolutely fantastic physical comedy. It's incorporating all sorts of different mediums from not only uh, live action, of course, but like uh, paper animation and shadow play and all these different techniques in order to just deliver as many jokes as possible um, within every single moment. It is the most packed comedy I have seen in some time. It's incredibly creative. The fact that it's this is the work of just a handful of people that are collaborating with each other in the Canadian wilderness. Uh, like it's astounding what they're able to accomplish. Uh, they make the most of all the resources they're given in a way that anyone who's interested in the craft of filmmaking will appreciate. This is my favorite movie of the year. It is currently on the festival circuit. I was only able to watch a screener uh, because, you know, I write for publication now <laughs> and uh, I have no idea when this will come. I think that the director has said that once it finishes the fall festival circuit, it will be hitting digital stores. It's a shame that something like this is going to be over almost definitely going to be overlooked at the end of the year because it is it is a cinematic marvel. I am in love with this movie. I'm going to be rewatching this screener for as long as I can. Highly 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 recommend it. Uh, keep your eye out on it because it is astounding. That's quite the recommendation. Uh, and then I guess you can, uh, remember whenever it does get to streaming, you can, you know, remind people the next time you're on the pod. Uh, so you mentioned you're, you're now doing a little writing, Daniel. So, uh, normally we just have you plug the same Twitter account. You never, you never tweet from and your letterbox account, but you might have some other stuff to plug now. Oh yeah. I write for disappointment media. Mm -hmm. So you can find me on there. I also, yeah, I have my felonious funk. I also on, on Letterboxd, I also have felonious funk on Blue Sky now, just in case the Twitter that I never use implodes in on itself because of the decisions of one uh, idiot billionaire. Um, your, your ex that you don't use anymore. <laughs> or ex, yes, I apologize. Um, <laughs> I actually think that that, I don't think that it's going anywhere. I assume that he's running it into the ground. He's going to scrap it for parts or something. Somebody else is going to buy it and change it back to what it was i don't know uh we'll see all right as usual you can find me on x at josh renovoy <laughs> j-o-s-h-j-u-r-n-o-v-o-y and letterbox same thing podcast x is at real movie pod podcast email is real movie pod at that hurts to hear by the way uh, com coming up next on the podcast i think we're gonna have an episode on blue beetle maybe something on teenage mutant ninja turtles and i don't want to promise anything yet because scheduling has been hell recently but we will have something for you next week as well come hell or high water uh daniel thanks as always for joining us thanks to everyone for listening and we'll see you next time